If I ever took a loss, I learned a lesson. I won't ever think I'm better than the next man. I've been down before the come up, I ain't stressing. Baby, I'm too busy counting all these blessings. Blessings. What's happening again? Man, we're so glad to have Pastor Jim Wilkes in back in the house with us today. He was with us. Yeah, come on. Come on, man. They're ready. All right, let's go. So he's with us back in August, and, uh, man, today's just been incredible. I want to just say this um, and give him the time that he needs today. But, uh, man, just relationally, what he has meant to Bethany and I, him and Jennifer, and the Journey team uh, and Pastor Journey Church in Cleveland, for those that haven't heard Pastor Jim. And, uh, man, they've just been working with us, helping us so much. And I tell you what, just in the last three months or so that they've just been coming alongside our staff and our team, there has just been, I, I just believe, an incredible difference. And we're just better because of them and our relationship with them. And so we absolutely love him and Jennifer and are thankful for what God is doing uh, at Journey. And, um, and so he's part of our blessed series. So would you guys stand to your feet? Come on, let's give Pastor Jim. Wilkes, a warm Elevate City. Welcome. Let's go. Love you, man. Uh, grab a seat. Thank you so much. The warm welcoming. Uh, hey, all those that are joining us online as well, want to give a shout out. And one of our, if you're a first-time guest, welcome you to Elevate City. Um, one of the warmest, loving churches I know. Uh, and I just love getting to know this church and the leadership and. Uh, let me tell you, I fall in love with Pastor Kyle and his wife and the staff and the vision of this church. Oh, man, it's big. Y'all got a big vision. I was flipping through this thing. It's a, how many of y'all read this? Y'all doing some crazy, audacious things for Jesus. Come on, somebody. If you're looking for a boring church, this is not it. If you're looking for a patty cake church, this is not it. This is an all-in, bold, audacious church. I love it, love it, love it. Oh. So good to be here. I want to show you my family. Uh, let me show you my family. This is my uh, family. This is my wife, Jennifer. Uh, we've been married almost 20 years. And um, uh, she's Italian. I like to tell people that the first three years of marriage, I thought she was yelling at me. But she was only talking. And uh, that's my son, Josh, to my left. Uh, yeah, left. And you're right. Um, so uh, he's, he's a senior. He's graduating. Going to go to... Uh, uh, Church of the Highlands uh, School with Southeastern in Alabama. And uh, this is Joel to my left. He's my freshman. He's 50, just turned 15. Uh, he, he's my money ticket. He got accepted to a D1 high school. He's a quarterback for the freshman team and just beat out 80 students to be on the basketball team. So uh, we're hoping he does really well and goes to college, NFL or something, and I can retire early. Come on. Name it, claim it. Let's do it. I live vicariously through my kids, and I do not hide it. That's just how it is. Uh, but today we're going to continue our teaching series called Blessed. I'm honored, Pastor Kyle, that you allowed me to come and speak as it relates to uh, being blessed, a blessed life. How many would ever say, I, I want my life to be blessed? Anyone? Some of y'all didn't raise your hands. That's scary. You're like, no, I don't want my life blessed. I, I hope it's hard. I hope it's difficult. I hope I go to work and it totally sucks the life out of me. Now, how many want to be blessed in your life, in your marriage, in your job, with your children? Yes, we want that. I think it's innate inside of us. I think God hardwired it inside of us that we would 
desire a life that's blessed and fruitful. And then when we have children, we want their life to be blessed. And we say stuff like this, I want my kids to have what? What I didn't have. Because we want to see that multiplication of blessings. And uh, today we're going to talk about legacy a little bit. We're talking about being blessed to the point that we can leave a legacy. I'm going to look at the story of the feeding of the 5,000. We're going to read it here in a second. And there's a story about, there's a little character, character in the story. It's a little boy. Some of your translations say he's a lad. And this little boy made such an impact, such a blessing, that he left a legacy that lived beyond himself that we're still talking about him today. So we're talking about legacy. Someone say legacy. Now, I don't know what you think about when you think about legacy. Maybe you think about LeBron James, the winning Browns team. You know, uh, now I was raised in the greatest generation ever, the 80s. Big hair, jelly bracelets, parachute pants, come on somebody, moonwalk. You know, so I think about legacy. I think about Michael Jackson, you know, on Motown when he did the moonwalk for the first time. That was amazing, you know. So I think about legacy, living beyond yourself. But I also believe that legacy isn't, can be accomplished uh, by, by my hands or by my intellect. It takes something a little bit more than that. Uh, legacy is this for our definition. Legacy is doing something or being part of something that outlives you. Now, as a pastor, I've had the privilege of doing some homegoing services that were amazing. Where people passed away and it was made a celebration because we knew they knew Jesus. So it was a homegoing. We celebrated big time. There's nothing like those celebrations. No matter how much we're grieving, it's bittersweet because we also know they are with the Lord. You know, like my own mom. My mom passed away 19 years ago, and she left a legacy. You know, a single parent of four children, uh, held one or two jobs even while she was fighting cancer. And she left a legacy. Here's how I know that. She left me. She left my siblings. I'm here because she was a praying mom. She was an, an intercessor. I would hear her praying in the middle of the night, walking back and forth, praying, interceding, right? I'd go out to party, and she'd be like, I hope you have a good time, and just remember Jesus is with you. And I was miserable the whole time. <laughs> Doing something that outlives you, that outlives you here. You see, it's great to have financial aspirations. You need those. You should have those. It's, it's okay to have, want a nice house and a white picket fence, a dog, not a cat, a nice car, right? A nice car. But just make sure all those things, if you want those things, just to make sure those things don't got you. Like you can have them, but just make sure they don't have you. Because that's, you can't have legacy if those things have you. No, I've seen funerals. I've been part of funerals, my mom's funeral. When we got there at the funeral home, they lined us all up with our vehicles and gave us little magnetic flags when we put them on our, fun- our little cars. And there were hundreds of cars when my mom left a legacy, impacting a lot of different people here. And she, everyone's lined up here. And, and we went there. And one thing that we didn't put a flag on was a U-Haul. We didn't take her, her awards from high school and her little f- flags, first place, second place, participation flag, which are stupid. <laughs> hate those participation flags. We didn't take her college degree. Didn't take her church membership certificate with us. Didn't take her vehicles with us. 
You can't take a U-Haul with us. Those things don't leave a legacy here, but we're inundated. Let's be straight honest. We're inundated with, with earning and working and bling and all these other things. We can be about all these things. But I'll never forget when my mom passed about two or three weeks later, they put a tombstone in front of her gravesite, and it had her name and it had the date that she was born and a date that she died. And then it had the little dash right between it. And I've heard people say, your life is the dash between the two dates. I've heard that said. But I looked at it a little bit differently. I saw the dash, not as how I live my life, but one of the dash between the two dates could also be a fill in the blank. That we can write whatever we want to write in there. That we could say we're going to live for ourselves and we can write that in there. We can say we want to leave a legacy. We can write that in there. I want, I want people, when they talk about the dash or the fill in the blank between my two dates, I want people to say, Jim Wilkes, man, he left a legacy. Jim Wilkes, that family I showed you, man, he loved, he loved God. He loved his wife. He loved his children. And he loved the Capital C Church. And I want them to say it, he loved in that order. Because you can get the order wrong, right? And it'd be wrong. I can put the church above my family, and that's wrong. I tell our church, I, didn't, I don't have to die for the church because Jesus already did. And if I have to choose between a basketball game or a church meeting, I'm going to the basketball game. Because that's my kids. And I tell my church all the time, I love them more than I love you. Ha, ha, ha. <laughs> because I got my priorities straight here. I want to leave a legacy here. We're talking about this young boy. This young boy, how did he know that he could live beyond himself? How did he know it was time to contribute and give over his fish and his loaves? He said, I can't take the house. I can't take the 401k. I can't take it to heaven. I can't take my car to heaven. I, I can't take those things. The only thing I can take with me is people. Look at the person on the left of you, or look at the person next to you. Look at the person next to you. Come on now. Look at the other person you didn't come with. Look at them. These are the people we're taking with us. Now, here's the crazy thing. When I, when I read this booklet, Pastor Kyle, when I read this, this is talking about taking more people. Because there's some empty chairs left here in this noon service here. And, uh, you know, we got more people that we got to take to heaven. We can't take the things that we're inundated by. The only thing we take with us is relationships. I want heaven. This church wants heaven to be full and hell to be empty. I want heaven to be crowded, right? I want to be all squeezed up next to people because we brought so many people to heaven here. I want to leave a legacy. Legacy means that I'm going to make sure that my life is about an eternal return on an investment. Now, I know you guys are preparing for your legacy offering in two weeks. That's huge. But as a pastor, I want to share this with you, that we're not talking about an offering to build our own kingdom, we're talking about saying, God, we know that you give the vision. You call the Capital Church to be the vehicle to fulfill your mission. And it's generosity that puts fuel on that mission. Our generosity causes us to put gasoline on the vision that God has given this church. God has called this church to accelerate, caused this church to, to elevate, to reach people that could never have been reached. We want an eternal return on investment. Amen? Mark chapter 6, verse 33 says this. But many who saw them leaving recognized them and ran afoot from the towns and, and got, there before, uh, got there ahead of them. In other words, Jesus was teaching 
he got in a boat, started uh, going across the Sea of Galilee, and this group did chariots of fire and ran so fast they got him to the other side of the lake. Now, if you don't know what chariots of fire is, Google it. When Jesus got there, he saw the large crowd. He had compassion on them because they were like sheep without a shepherd. So he began teaching them many things. So in other words, he's teaching. And then he starts like saying, hey, in conclusion, in conclusion, hey, give me 10 more minutes. In conclusion, then the choir comes up and sings and he keeps delaying the closing. And what happens here, it was late in the day because he never closed the service, right? So his disciples came to him and said, hey, this is a remote place. In other words, can you stop talking, please? And it's already very late. Send the people away so they can go to the countryside and the villages and buy them something to eat at Shoney's. Wherever the local place is at. But he answered, you give them something to eat. They said, that would take more than half a year's wage. Are we going to spend that much on bread and give it to them to eat? I can see them all frustrated in verse 38. How many loaves do you have? He asked them. And I, I, I can see them like shrugging their shoulders like, I don't know. Well, go and see. When they found out, some of your translations tell us that they found a boy with some fish and loaves. They came back and said, five pieces of bread and two fish. Then Jesus directed them to have all the people sit down in groups on the green grass. So they sat down in groups of hundreds and fifties. Now, isn't it important that they organized? Let me tell you something. I know a lot of churches, they want to see God do a lot of great stuff, but they're unwilling to organize. They're so heavenly minded, they're no earthly good. Now, I believe in prayer. I think you should read the word. But I think sometimes you just need to get up and work. You need to organize some stuff. That's what I love about this booklet right here. It's organized. I can open up page one, two, three, four, and five and see what the five giving lanes of this church are. That it's not happenstance. You're not wishing stuff. You're not crossing your fingers, you know, closing your eyes, poking needle, hope through that. You're not doing that. You're saying this is the target. If you aim at nothing, you'll hit it every time. Thank you for being a pastor that's serious about targeting your generosity towards some goals versus some ethereal plan and hoping on happenstance that you're going to reach some people for Jesus. I just felt I needed to say that. I didn't say that in the other service, but I feel much better after that. He organized them. Taking the five loaves and the two fish and looking up to heaven, he gave thanks and broke the loaves and he gave them to his disciples to distribute to the people. He also divided the two fish among them as well. They all ate and were satisfied. And the disciples picked up 12 baskets full of broken pieces of bread and fish. The number of the men who had eaten was 5,000. Guess what, y'all? In this story, guess what was left over? Leftovers. Leftovers in the tinfoil, y'all. Come on, for some leftovers. I love Thanksgiving, but you know what I love about Thanksgiving? Leftovers. Leftovers on Friday. Leftovers on Saturday. Jesus is coming. Leftovers on Sunday. Trip to faint on Monday. Come on, somebody. Woo-wee. Love me some leftovers. There were leftovers. There were leftovers. You know, there's a lot of churches with big vision. They want to make things happen. They want to help people. They want to dream, but they can't dream or even prepare because they don't have any leftovers. I 
want to show you today that the feeding of the 5,000 wasn't just a miracle. It was a method of methodology of multiplication so we could have leftovers to reach people for Jesus. Jesus was giving us a rhythm, a methodology, if you will. Let me give you some backstory here. Jesus is teaching and preaching. It's Passover season at this time where the Jewish people are celebrating uh, the, the, the historic victory of the Jewish people being set free from Egypt, going through the promised land. Uh, it took 40 years, and they finally got to the promised land, and they're celebrating their deliverance, the Passover. So they're all gathered together as families. So it wasn't just men that were there, it was children and women. So theologians estimate that Jesus was teaching about 20,000 people at this time. There were 20,000 people with a lot of pain. And remember in our story, they were at one side of the lake. Jesus teaching, and then all of a sudden he's like, "Woo! I'm going to get in this boat. And he gets in the boat with the disciples, and the people who had pain are like, oh no, we ain't done with you, Jesus. And they start running to the other side because they still got pain. They were diagnosed with cancer. They had diabetes. Their family was all jacked up. Their finances messed up. They had fear. They had hurt. They had abuse. All these things. And they're running ahead because Jesus hasn't healed them yet. They run ahead and they're pursuing Jesus. And Jesus gets out of the boat and he starts talking to them here. And he never, never addresses their healing, but he addresses their hunger. It doesn't make any sense. So I was diagnosed with cancer two years ago. I had uh, two and three tumors. And when I sat with a doctor, it'd be like this, a doctor coming in. And saying, hey, here's the x-rays. You got three tumors right there. We're 99% sure they're cancerous. But hey, I got to tell you something. The fish and chips at this hospital are awesome. Want something to eat? I'll get you some malt vinegar on that. It'd be real good. I thought, what are you talking about? I don't want fish and chips. I'm even worried about being hungry right now. Get those stinking tumors out of my body. I want to live and not die. And Jesus doesn't even talk about the tumors. He's talking about their hunger. They're all crowded around, pressing around Jesus, all 20,000 of them. And he's like, listen, are y'all hungry? Y'all need some bread? Jesus was talking to us here and saying, listen, I can heal you. But if I don't save you, then you're going to hell first. Bread represented salvation. Bread represents the word of God. What's the word of God that we read? It's Jesus. Bread is actually healing, not just physically, but spiritual healing. Jesus was saying, listen, I've got to heal you spiritually. I'm more concerned about your wholeness of your spirit and where you're going to spend eternity. I want you healthy and whole. I want to save you. But yes, I want to deliver you and I want to set you free. That's the mission of the church. That's why I love Elevate. That's why I love your pastor. Let's save people. Let's meet people right where they're at. They might be hungry, but we want to believe that God's going to heal them and save them in the name of Jesus. Can I get an old school amen? Some of y'all, what brought you here was your pain. Your pain brought you here. Your busted up relationships brought you here. I was talking to one girl, one lady at the last service. She's out of church for 10 years. Here's why. Because she had pain from church. Pain kept her from Jesus. 
I said, what brought you here? She said, this, this, this. And finally, pain brought her back to Jesus. You know, he wants to heal that pain. More importantly, he wants to save you. He wants a relationship with you. I want to give you some encouragement here. I want to share with you three things as we talk about legacy, as we talk about living beyond ourselves. Number one, understand this, that God has a plan. I love it, I love it, I love it. God has a plan for leftovers. Y'all, I got a plan for leftovers for Thanksgiving. Woo, I got special Tupperware. I got special sealed containers. I got containers that squeal out, squeeze out the air from it. Come on, Jesus. Jesus got a plan for some leftovers. Woo, Jesus is Italian. Here's what I want to know. How did the boy know? He wasn't supposed to be a consumer, but a contributor. I want you to hear something. I want to set something straight. You cannot walk in God's plan and leave a legacy if you're only a consumer. If you're coming to Elevate City Church and you're hurt and wounded, consume, consume, consume. Receive, receive until you're healthy. But at some point, you've got to shift gears and start being a contributor. If you want to walk in God's plan and leave a legacy, you have to become a contributor. You have to move towards generosity. You have to move towards leaving a legacy. There can only be leftovers if we follow God's plan for leftovers here. See, when I read this story, we talk about the miracle and Jesus prayed over it and multiplied. When I read it, the miracle didn't happen in Jesus' hands. The miracle didn't even start in the disciples' hands. It didn't even start in the little boy, the lad's brown bag lunch pail. That's not when the miracle took place. The miracle didn't take place even when his mom put the lunch together. The miracle didn't even take place when the, when the bakers took the barley and the yeast and made the bread. It didn't take place when the fishermen caught the fish and brought it to the market to be bought. It took place in Genesis chapter 1 when God said, let there be light. Let there be birds in the air. Let there be water. Let there be fish and creatures of the water to swim. Do you think, do you think theologically here, that when God spoke that fish into existence, he automatically knew thousands of years later, multiple, 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 multiple generations of fish, it would wind up in the hands of a little boy. Do you think he knew it then? You better believe he did. You better believe he did. Could it be that the fish... And loaves that he's put inside your hands, the gifts, the treasures he puts in your hands, he already knows has a greater purpose other than consuming. That if you take the very thing we're consuming and recognize it has a greater anointed purpose to contribute. That when we con don't consume, but we contribute what's in our hands, when the God asks of it from us, he will multiply it and we will leave a legacy. Could it be that when you got your degree from college, he knew that 10 years later you'd be promoted and promoted and promoted and you get to this place that now you can give sacrificially? Do you think that maybe when, when, you, when you were in your one place of employment or these situations, God knows what's in your hands, your talents and your abilities, he has a plan? You see, Jesus has a plan. But a lot of times we start consuming what we're called to contribute. Instead of living open-handed, what we do is we become closed-handed. And instead of it being a blessing and a thing that God can use, it now becomes an idol. 
anything that is above God actually becomes a competitor to God. And he will start shaking it because he wants no competitors. He says this, I'm a jealous God. I won't, I won't share my glory with anyone. I won't allow anything to be above me. But if we will say, God, this will not be, you know, your car can become an idol. Your house can become an idol. Sports can become an idol here. Your skills, your talents, your mindset, it all belongs to God. Leaving a legacy says, I don't own anything. I'm simply a steward. You see, leaving a legacy means we begin to understand that we are blessed not just to be blessed, but we are blessed to be a blessing. To this boy, God has a plan. The next thing I want you to write down is God uses people. Someone say people. I love this, verse 37. He answered them, you give them something to eat. And they said to him, that would take half a year's wages. Are we going to go spend that much on bread and give it to them to eat? How many loaves do you have, he asked. He's all frustrated, like I said. Go and see. And they found out five pieces of bread and two fish. And he says this in the famous words, well, you feed them. You feed them. Oh, man, this is awesome right here. You feed them. You see, the disciples right here were looking for a way out. They didn't want to spend this money on people. See, God has a plan, and his plan is to use people. Hey, you know why we don't, we don't want to use our resources for people? I want to tell you why. Uh, I, I, before I got here, I, I, know, I know your three closest friends, every single one of you. I know their names. And I'm going to tell you your three favorite names, each person one at a time. Here it is. You can write down your favorite three friends and your favorites on your phone. Here's where they are. Ready? Me, myself, and I. Your top three friends. They're my favorite friends. Me, myself, and I, I love them. They think just like me. Oh, they always say my ideas are the best. They do. And every preference I have is their preference too. It's crazy. And me, myself, and I, we always want to hang on to what's in our hand. Because me, myself, and I want to use it for me, myself, and I. And whenever I consult me, myself, and I, me, myself, and I tell me to consume and not to contribute. But God says, listen, the very thing in your hand is the thing that's going to bring legacy to one another. The very thing in your hand, if you release it here, I can do miracles here. See, the very thing in your hand is what God wants to use. See, whatever is in your hand that you contribute reveals what's in your heart. My wife has this big old ring on her finger. She probably wants it bigger, but you know. It reveals what's in her heart. That her, light, her heart's pure. See, wherever I put my resources towards, my heart will tilt towards that direction here. I'm a big investor uh, in, in precious metals, gold and silver. I buy like these little coins, little every now and then, I'll, and I'll put them in a safe, you know. And I never really tracked gold and silver, whether it went up or down in its price value. But once I bought my first little gold coin, it was like a, a two-thirds of an ounce or something. I got an app that allowed me to track the value of it. And I can see it go up or down. In one click of the button, I can buy or I can even sell. Right? It's awesome. But you see, I never, I never inspected it until my resources went towards it. Wherever I put my resources, my attention begins to go in that direction. 
I will give you a key. You want a passionate, loving, crazy marriage where your liver still quivers 20 years later? You know what I'm talking about? You want to do it? Here it is. Secret sauce. Here it is. Ready? Ready? Put your resources and energy toward it. Whatever you did in the beginning, do it right now. If you bought flowers, then buy them now. If you open the car door, then do it now. Some of the men are like, I hate this pastor. <laughs> and all the ladies said, whoop, whoop, should have put a ring on it. Okay. Jesus said this, look, 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 look at the heart, look at the heart. It reveals the heart. I was hungry, you fed them. I was hungry, and you gave them to drink. When I was naked, you clothed them. When I was a stranger, you invited them in. When I was sick and in prison, you cared for them. They're like, and you'll know the story of God. When did we do this for you? When you did it to the least of them, you've done it to me. Whenever you gave your resources, I saw your heart tilted towards what's important to me. People. People is what's important to me. I've come to, I've come to tell Elevate City Church that you are in a kingdom assignment. You are not a plumber. That is your cover. You're an agent of the most high God, and you're called to leave a legacy. You're not a cashier. No, no, no. That's just your cover. You're in stealth mode. And you're called to be an ambassador for the kingdom of God to help bring people to Jesus here. Now, I'll be 45 here. I'm 45. I'm at the halfway point of my life. I'm like halftime. You know what I'm saying? And I'm kind of evaluating some stuff. And, and I want to make sure I'm leaving a legacy here. And here's some things I've learned. I'm going to jot down in my journal. And I wrote this down, is that if I own something, then I have to sustain that thing. But if I steward everything, then God has to sustain it. If I simply steward my life and live it the way he wants, then he's responsible for the outcome. So if God whispers for me to serve my neighbor, to forgive someone I don't really want to forgive, come on somebody. If he tells me to do it, then I will do it out of obedience, not of my preference, because me, myself, and I will tell me not to do it, and I will consume that which I'm supposed to contribute. But if I listen to him and I simply live open-handed and I give to him my pain, my worry, my life, my generosity, as he nudges my heart, he'll take that very thing, that very thing in my hand, and he'll use it and he'll multiply it here. You see, legacy and the story changes when your talents are God's, your family's God's, and your tithe belongs to God, and your offering belongs to God. Everything begins to change. Then he can take those resources and begin to multiply. Now here's a question I have for you. What if a young boy, I'm going to land the plane here. What if a young boy consumed that which he was meant to contribute? We wouldn't be talking about the boy. Can I ask you another hypothetical question that I actually think is true? I think out of 20,000 people, I think the disciples asked more than one boy. One more, more than one adult Will you give that lunch sack? Nope, I gotta eat it. My family needs it. What if the lad was the 20th person asked? Wasn't the first. Can I can I give you another thing that really shocked me? What if Elevate City Church was not God's first choice? 
one of your, one of your like 20 churchy guys. But you're the only one willing to do that. That'll change the game. Elevate City, do you give what's in your hand? Remember the story? He took it. He blessed it. A few things about blessing it. Order matters. God can only bless that which we prioritize after him. Next thing about legacy is that you're not giving to a church, you're giving through a church. The church is a vehicle that God multiplies. Next, it has to be blessed before it can be multiplied. How is it blessed? By obedience. Could you imagine disciples? He takes the bread, he breaks it, he blesses it. And, and then the final thought is this, it has to be given away to be multiplied. He takes the fishes and loaves and he, he breaks them up in pieces and he puts little pieces in the 12 baskets. Could you imagine the disciples like, Jesus has lost his mind. He has been here all day teaching. The sun has fried his noggin. Oh my God, what are we going to do? And they break these little pieces, they put it in the basket and they start going around and people start reaching in, grabbing the bread, grabbing the little fish out of there, pulling out pieces. And every time it should be empty, they look in there and there's still more fish and bread. The disciples like, oh my gosh, he's taking this. Because God can take what's in your hands. If we surrender it to him, he does something great to it. He has this ability to take it and bless it. And he has this ability to multiply it. He can take something that's little and make it into something great. He can take your ability. He can take your talent. He can take your little tithe, which is only 10 cents out of a dollar. He can take that and say, hey, out of your obedience, I'm going to take it and I'm going to use it to change the world. I'm going to take the little lady with her might and I'm going to use it and that will get my attention. So you can't change the world without leftovers. And too many churches are trying to change the world on an empty fridge. There's nothing in the cupboards because nobody will give their little and they have their kung fu grip on this when they never will experience this. But you know the crazy thing that will happen if you will surrender whatever God whispers to you. In two weeks, God's going to whisper a number to you. I know it. On the other side of the coin, God might whisper to you to forgive somebody. And if you'll surrender that to him, he will give you way more love than you could ever imagine if you're hurting. He might whisper to you, I want you to give $1,000 in two weeks. But I don't know how that's going to happen. God's got to do a miracle. He's got to do his part. My wife and I, we're making a pledge for our legacy. It's bigger than what I have in my checking account. I don't know how I'm going to do it. We both prayed. We both fasted for 20 day, 21 days. We prayed and fasted. God gave us a number. We're going to go with that number. We're going to bring the first 10% of it, first fruits to the Lord. And I'm going to have to trust God that he's going to multiply and here's what's happening in my life, is God is saying, Jim, I'm going to multiply and saying, elevate city, I want to multiply this in, hands, but he, in your hands, but here's what he's going to do. In a short order, I'm going to tell you what's going to happen. He's like, will you give me this? Will you give me this? And the key to leaving a legacy is living like this. Never like this living like this. And if we'll give it to him, we we'll say, God, I'm going to surrender this to you. Oh my God. Oh my God, this is awesome. And he does these amazing things and he has the ability to take what's in our hands. And he's like, oh my gosh. He's like, I'm going to take this thing.
to take what's in our hands and multiply it. But here's a crazy thing. Can I just say something to you? Most of us will never experience this because we'll hang on to this. I'm not a prosperity preacher. But I am a preacher that believes God loves us as our Heavenly Father. And He wants to bestow blessings upon you. And He wants to bless you so you'll be a blessing. That you're not even meant to own and consume all this. You're meant to receive what God has for you and then give it away. I'm so happy to hear when I hear stories at Journey Church, and I want to share this because I hope it compels you. Two years ago, we had a couple in our church downsize their house. Kids grew up, they moved away, they downsized their house. The difference between this mortgage and this mortgage they give every month. Last year, towards our legacy offering, we had a gentleman who loved bikes, motorcycles. The Lord nudged his heart and said, I want you to sell your motorcycle and give that money to the kingdom. We have people in our church that have chosen to give up Starbucks. Blasphemy. You know why? Because the average Starbucks drinker spends $60 a month. Why don't you give that up for people? What your pastor is asking you to do is, would you give up what you love for what you love even more? Souls. That's what Jesus loves, people. Here's what I want you to do is maybe if you want to take your pledge card, it's found in your booklet. It's a little square card. Can you hand me that, Pastor Kyle? It looks like this inside your booklet. And maybe if you don't have it, I just want you to hold your hands out. Here's what we're going to do. We're simply going to dedicate ourselves to say, Lord, the fish and loaves that are in our hands... We're just giving them to you. Whatever that is. Whatever that whisper of the Holy Spirit is. Because again, our, our goal is to be spirit-led, but obedience-driven. That God li- whispers to us and then we obey and we take the baby step for you. Heavenly Father, right now, we hold our hands out right now. Oh, I love this church. I love that they're not about brick and mortar, even though they need brick and mortar. They need a bigger building. They need kids' space. They need an auditorium that's legit. With the bells and whistles that will help facilitate ministry. They need student stuff. But all that brick and mortar doesn't matter. It's just a tool to reach people. So Lord, we give our fish and loaves. There are churches that need to be planted all across the United States and around the world. We want to be part of that. There's missionaries that need to be supported. They're going to reach people we can never reach. So we just simply bring our fish and loaves, and we wonder how in the world can our little fish and loaves do anything? Our tithe, that 10%, how can it change the world? That number you're whispering to our heart for as a legacy offering, how in the world can it do it? We need miracles upon it. We need you to multiply it. We need you to have it go further, faster than we can ever do on our own. But we love you, and we love what you love. We honor you. We bless your name. And whatever you whisper to our heart, here's our answer. Yes. It's yes. We love you. And everyone said amen and amen.